Every year, the pastoral body uh, works on some kind of issue, um, and it can, it can be a wide variety of issues, but last year, uh, we decided that we were going to work on biblical manhood and womanhood because there's so much confusion about that topic in our culture. And, and so much of the debate that we see uh, in our time um, is so driven by the culture. Um, you've got all these ideas of truth that are swirling around and, and being debated. And it's actually having, uh, because we live in a culture where we have access to all of this, it's had tremendous effect even on those that are believers because we're constantly exposed to ideas that are really redefinitions of reality. And so we wanted to work on this from the standpoint of the scriptures and, and come up with a way of, of helping us state clearly, here's what the scriptures teach, here's how we're going to apply it to our time. And, and I'm going to do my best over the next, um, well, this week and then three more weeks um, do my best to kind of cover that ground. And I told somebody this afternoon, I felt like that I had a teaspoon and I was dick dipping into an ocean. Um, there's, there's so much that can be said and so many directions where we can go. But, I, but the, this first, in my mind, this first lesson is really the most important of all. Because people are so polarized on the issues of the time, there's a tendency for to have the battle lines and to be saying bad things about one another, and, and to be always kind of on the defensive. And part of my goal for us is to, to really understand where we get our ideas of who we are and, and, and how we function, but also to understand that because this is the design of a good God, that, that if we want good for people, if we love people, and, and we want them to benefit greatly, then they are well served to be taught and brought along to where they are lining up with the design. Um, we might as well be brushing our teeth with wire brushes as to try to live contrary to the design that God has given to us. So, tonight we'll be looking at God's good design, and then next week, Lord willing, be looking at marred by the fall. We're going to talk about uh, so many of the deviations that have brought such harm uh, to people over the years. And it didn't start with the most recent uh, debates. Uh, we can actually look at the scriptural record and see that very early on, there was a departure from God's good design that's brought harm to people for, for centuries. And then October 16th, we plan to look at the example of Christ and of the apostles. Um, what's it's really, really helpful to us to see how God himself in human flesh, how he interacted as a male, how he interacted with females, how, how he interacted with other people. And what's also helpful is that Christ wasn't married, okay? He is married to the church, the bride, but in terms of actually marrying a particular woman, he didn't do that. And so sometimes when we talk about men and women, 
you sometimes get the idea that if you're not married, that somehow you're missing out completely on God's good design for you. And the reality is that can't be true when the perfect man, Jesus Christ, wasn't a married person, and he shows us what it looks like to live to the glory of God and to live a full life. Uh, We see the same, um, some of the apostles. Now, Paul was not married, and we see how they live. So, the example of Christ and the apostles is going to let us see how they interacted. And, And by the way, the way they interacted with um, men and women did not fit the culture of the times and did not fit the culture of our times. It's better than the culture of our times and better than the culture of that time. And it also shows us that the principles of biblical manhood and womanhood apply not just to married people, but to singles as well. And then we're on the 23rd, we're going to have our members meeting, so we'll return to the topic on the 30th and go to the apostolic directions to the churches. Like, what does this look like now, the relationship of men and women within local church bodies? What's the instruction that's rooted in the things that we'll even talk about tonight? So, um, unlike our Ephesians series where we take just a few verses and we do the whiteboard, We're going to take a lot of verses, and then we're going to use the PowerPoint to kind of sum up some things. It's a little different from usual, but I'm hoping that it's going to be really valuable. I, uh, in teaching the biblical worldview class to our ninth graders, um, this passage, Genesis 1 and 2, so foundational to so much of the reality in which we live. And departure from it is actually to live in a virtual reality that's not reality. And so I find these passages to be so helpful. So let's read them, and then we're going to draw some conclusions from them tonight. So Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, and of course, he's already created, God has already created the rest of creation. What's left now is creating human beings. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So to be created in God's image is going to be a capacity to know him, to worship him, uh, we're rational beings, we're creative beings, there's, there's elements of who we are that's rooted in God's person as distinct from fish and birds and creeping things. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You remember there's only two people at the beginning, um, Adam and Eve. There's no way they're going to subdue the earth uh, just on their own. They're going to have to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold… I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So initially, um, human beings were vegetarians. We really don't see, not until after the flood, that God opens up uh, making it uh, legit for us to be meat eaters as well. And to every, and by the way, if there's no death, it's a little hard to have steak right? Okay? 
So here there is no death, so we're eating fruits and vegetables. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So God provides food for every living creature on the earth, man as well as the animals, and it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And of course, we see this cadence in Genesis 1. Uh, he saw what he had made, and it was good. He saw what it was made, and it was good. And here, it was very good. So that includes the creation of man, male and female. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Now, in Genesis 2, the scripture gets a little more specific about God's creation of female. Like, where did the female come from? And it's very instructive. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So here you have one person, and he's supposed to subdue the earth, right? He's supposed to exercise dominion over it. How much can one man exercise dominion over? Not much, okay? So God made an enclosed garden, Garden of Eden, for him to tend, okay? And I like, to, I like to tell the ninth graders, look, if you're going to fulfill the creation mandate to subdue the earth, okay, what have you been given to have responsibility for? Let's start with your room. Okay? And, and so this, this is a, you know, you're supposed to, the space that you have, exercise dominion over it. Make sure you're managing it well. All right. So... Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Okay, so this is the first time in the scriptural record that something's not good. Okay, so he says, I will make him a helper fit for him, somebody who corresponds to him, who completes him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. By the way, Adam's no dummy. He's not a caveman giving grunts. He's extremely intelligent. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. It's kind of like God's just doing a little object lesson. Uh, this isn't the right one. No, you don't want to be married to a bird or a beast or a snake. Or there's someone that's going to fit you perfectly. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And English does very similar to what the Hebrew does. The Hebrew man word for, for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha, just has a, an ending on it that makes it feminine. 
And here, woman and man, uh, we also see similar spelling, uh, the relationship. So even when we see, you know, biblical manhood and womanhood, think about how even those terms remind us that they, you know, the one came from the other and they're connected. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and now this is Moses commenting on the significance of what Adam says here and the significance of how Eve was formed. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, be glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So you have this permanent close union because of the create, you know, how Eve came into being at all. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, some principles that we draw from this passage that are going to create the bridge to our culture. First, we see the divinely created value of man and woman. Divinely created value of man and woman. You think about the history of the world, you think about your own personal history, and how often we see a diminishing of the value of one gender, one sex for the other. A, a tendency to, to devalue man or to devalue woman. God created both male and female human beings in his image, therefore, Human beings, both male and female. And, you know, the scripture writer underscores this, have intrinsic dignity and value. Further, they are holistic beings. That means their physical bodies are inseparable from their identity and dignity as image bearers. Someone was asked recently, in an interview or uh, for Supreme Court justice, can you define a woman? Well, if you've divorced physical identity from spiritual identity, maybe you can't. But when you understand that God created physical beings, men and women, they are spiritual beings as well, but they are, they are one. Like, you can't, when the spirit is separate from the body, the body dies. It has, it has they go together. And so, the physical bodies are inseparable from their identity and dignity as image bearers. Their personhood and their bodies are one. This may not be clear as to why that's important, but in our day, there's an effort to divide your personhood from your physical identity, okay? And it can be appealing even to believers because we, we value the spiritual. Sometimes we devalue the physical. That was very popular in the first century. It was called, and second century, it got even stronger, Gnosticism. It was based on Greek dualism that, that matter is less valuable than spirit. That is not the Christian worldview. 
Christian worldview, the, the God who is spirit created matter and made human beings material beings as well as spiritual beings. Does that make sense? Like those are together. They're wedded together. You can't separate them. Secondly, we see in this passage the beneficial relationship between man and woman. God created Adam from the dust, and God created Eve from Adam's rib. She's of the same substance. She's inseparably close to him, taken from him, and they are mutually interdependent. In fact, Paul is going to make the case, as we mentioned last week in 1 Corinthians 11, when we get there, he's going to make the case that that woman came from man here in the garden, but with procreation, men come from women. Okay? We're born of women. So, so there's a, in the, the very coming into being of each human being, there is a display of the interdependence of men with women. We are, we are created to have relationship. Eve corresponded to Adam and completed him. She was a helper suitable for him. She completed him relationally because the animals could not function in this way, and she also created him vocationally. He was given a purpose to fulfill, and she's going to come alongside and help him, and together they are going to fulfill the purpose. And we're going to see that that there's no way for them to do what God had mandated them to do, to fill the earth and subdue it, unless they work together. It's impossible unless they work together. Adam valued and cared for and loved her as his own body. He says, you know, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Okay? He calls her woman because she was taken out of man. He he senses the closeness. He loves the closeness. He cherishes the closeness. And Ephesians 5, we saw the last week, builds on this passage to underscore the husband's obligation to his wife to nourish and cherish her with the self-sacrificial love that Christ has shown for his church because she's part of him. He's benefited when he treats her well. And so we see this beneficial relationship between man and woman. Rather than the battle between the sexes, instead there is a a mutual uh, dependence, uh, value that, that we foster, not only within marriages, but beyond that. The scriptures show that the mutual dignity and value and interdependence of Adam and Eve extends beyond husband and wives to all men and women in their need for beneficial interaction and for respectful interdependence. We see this displayed in the church body where men and women together as members of the body of Christ function together to build one another up in love. There, there is a, a service of ministry to one another. There's a respect, a dignity that the apostles talk about in terms of how we treat one another 
that is carried out within the church family, and then that should be practiced in the community at large in terms of how we treat one another. This is, the, you know, love your neighbor isn't just love your, you know, guys just love your male neighbors or, or women just love your female. You're supposed to show love to all people, men and women, because they're made in the image of God. And we see this right from the beginning, the beneficial relationship between man and woman. We need one another, we value one another, and we need to treat one another that way. Third, we see divine blessing for purposeful work. From this identity as interdependent image bearers of God, God gave them work to do and blessed them to accomplish it. Their male-female identity is inseparable from their male and female bodies. That's how you know what you are. That's, that's the objective way you can measure it. It's, we're, we're genetically and physically distinct. Like, I, I can chop off parts of my body, but I can't change my DNA. I, I can't change my genetic makeup. Okay? I, I can dress up like a woman, but I will always be a man. Because that's the way God has created us. That identity is inseparable from our bodies, genetically and physically distinct, yet designed to function together to complete one another and to produce offspring. So you have procreation right here at the beginning. Without this relationship, they could not fulfill God's command to fill the earth and subdue it. And therefore, they could not exercise dominion over it as the vice regents of the Creator. And, you know, this is, this is just helps us. This whole dualistic idea of, like, matter is, is bad and spirit is good, this is not the Christian worldview at all. And, and we see right here at the beginning for us to fulfill what God has given us to do. It's actually tied to the close relationship husbands and wives have together. That, that's supposed to be sacred and, and supposed to be productive. God pronounced special blessing on the first man and woman and on their union to accomplish the objective. Adam was created from the dust of the ground, so his focus was to cultivate it in pursuing his God-given purpose to subdue the earth and exercise dominion over everything in it. And Eve was created from Adam's rib, so her focus was to complete him as a person, assist him in his God-given purpose. There's this purposeful work that together they achieve that includes the procreation that goes with it, includes the sexuality that everybody's debating today, and without which there would be no human race, and it would be impossible to subdue the earth. Number four, there is actually a connection, and it's not in our passage here uh, except by inference, but a connection of male-female roles uh, there's a connection to redemption itself. After, the, after sin marred themselves, their relationship, their work, and their procreation, God's promise of redemption is still tied to their relationship together. The offspring of the woman will crush 
the serpent's head. Now, we know that Christ was virgin-born, but we also know that there was generation after generation of offspring, the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Judah, the offspring of David, um, offspring of you know, Solomon. We, we know that this, this follows till finally Christ is born. I mean, think about it. Redemption itself is tied to relationship, the close relationship of man and wife. And, and producing offspring. So we, when we, get, when we talk about sexuality and that kind of thing, the world wants to twist it. And we're going to see some of this next week. The world wants to twist this, but, but it's not that Christians have a low view of it. We have a high view of it, and we understand its purpose in God's plan and His blessing. Now, next Sunday, we're going to study a scriptural explanation for how our fall into sin has harmed and twisted both men and women, marring their relationship. But from what Genesis 1 and 2 revealed to us, we can affirm the following truths regarding violating God's good design. And, you know, the, the not just for kids is key to our kind of getting an understanding of this. When we violate the design we do ourselves harm. The design is to show us the function. The design is to show us how it's supposed to work. So number one, to belittle or harm either men or women attacks their God-designed distinct identities as image bearers of God. And history is full of, particularly of men attacking women because of their strength to do what God had given them to do, but turning that strength to, to be um, lording it over and taking advantage of women. And I'll, I'll stop there because there's a lot more we'll, we'll do next, next time, but, but the whole belittling or harming a person of the, of the opposite sex is evil. It's contrary to God's good design. They were designed to work together for one another's good. Number two, to pursue sexual experience and expression outside of the one flesh marriage union of one man and one woman violates God's good design. And, and this is what started up very early on and is what has been tolerated in many cultures for a long time, even though we know how damaging it is. Number three, to confuse the gender roles or physical distinctions rebels against God's good design. Why? Because he designed, he made the differences for a purpose. Number four, to redefine one's gender contrary to one's biological identity is to rebel against the good design of the creator who made us distinctly male and female, body and soul. Number five, whenever and however we deny, twist, or resist God's good design for us, we dishonor God and we dishonor ourselves to our harm. I think this is really what we're going to see in the temptation with Satan is Satan pitched the idea 
that, that rebelling against God was the way to make your life better. It was the big lie. It was the way to make your life really a living hell. It condemned humanity to death and to hell. And so, so this is the lie, and it's come in a lot of different forms, and, and all of us buy into it whenever we do something we know is wrong. Somehow we're thinking that by disobeying God, that we will be happier and that we'll be better off. And it's always a lie. It might temporarily give us some level of pleasure, but in the end, it will destroy us. And number six, our culture has long denied God, that God is the creator or that he even exists. That removes the very foundation of who we are, our identity, why we matter, our value, and why we exist, our purpose. And so part of what I want us to understand is sometimes people want to treat getting rid of God being the creator and saying, oh, well, I'm a scientist, I believe evolution. I'm a scientist, I believe in virtual reality. I'm a scientist, I believe in fake reality, and I'm going to build my life on that. We think that that's not a big deal in terms of the gospel, and the reality is that as soon as you remove God from being creator, you've removed everything. Because you're no longer accountable to him, his design doesn't matter, you're adrift on a sea of self-creation, and we are too small for the job. So, part of what's important for us to understand when we see the debate is, is not to get so caught up in the debates and the legislations and all that that we don't understand that this is the bitter fruit of rejecting God as the creator. And essentially, it, it has wormed its way in to the church, but only in the last 150 years. Only in the last 150 years. No Bible-believing Christian held to evolution versus creation until 150 years ago. What happened 150 years ago, roughly? Anybody know? Yes. Darwin, yes. He wrote Origin of the Species. And, and that set the whole train off the tracks. And so, what's really important for us as we think about our own identity, as we think about working with people, as we take them back to the Creator who gives them dignity and gives them purpose and gives them identity and did it for good. God's good design. So this week, as you live your life, think about what God has created you for and what God has made you to be and live your life understanding that when you pursue God's good design, then you pursue it for good. We will talk about the harsh realities next week. 
that have interfered with this. Because some of you, I can tell, like, well, what about this or what about, you know, when sin came in, it, it messed up an awful lot of things. All right, God, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us think in line with reality, with created reality, that you would help us think in line of living in a universe that you have created and that you sustain and that operates by laws that you have woven into the very existence of matter and of ourselves. And Lord, may we live in line with your creative genius, for God, you are good. We pray this in the name of Jesus.